Welcome to the Salem Alliance Church Podcast. To learn more about Salem Alliance, including house churches, gathering times, and other resources, visit us online at salemalliance.org. Today's talk is given by Steve Fowler. We uh, looked at the last chapter of Mark last week in our uh, series called Live It. And I, today what I want to do is just, uh, just sort of just cap the whole series, bring an end to the whole series. Um, and I'm going to do that by looking at a, a passage, Mark 14. So if, if you want to follow along in your Bibles, Mark 14 is where we're going to be at. I'm actually, when, the, when I read the text, I'm not going to read it in the version that's in the Pew Bible in front of you. Um, but if, if you want to follow, I think you can follow along just by the storyline. If you go to page 1603, you'll find where I'm at. Um, so I, I will get there eventually. Uh, so many of you know the name Joe Namath. Namath was a uh, NFL quarterback. Uh, he was one of those uh, brash, um, arrogant NFL quarterbacks. He uh, said something pretty pr- provocative uh, back in the 60s. They were, the, the New York Jets, that was the team that uh, Namath played for. He was a quarterback. Um, and they were playing the, the Baltimore Colts. And it was, uh, the game will later be, be called the Super Bowl. But in that game, uh, the Colts were expected to beat the Jets, and, um, and uh, Namath made a really provocative prediction. He guaranteed that the New York Jets would win the game. Um, and I, this, this caught the media's attention in that day, and they were pretty shocked that someone would, would just put that out there, knowing that they were the underdogs, and that the Colts were like this, this uh, premier team. And uh, yet, yet uh, Namath just, just declared that, that, man, we're going to win the game. I guarantee you we're going to win the game. And the game was played, and the New York Jets did win the game. Uh, Namath didn't exactly have a great game, but his team had a great game. Uh, but there's this iconic uh, film footage of Namath running off the field with his finger up in the air, like, you know, we're number one, because he delivered. And, and in our culture today, especially in sports, there's this uh, permission given by culture to, to folks who say some really outrageous things, some, uh, some outlandish promises about what's going to happen on a court or on a field, and, uh, and, and, and we're okay with that. I mean, guys like, you know, even in the boxing ring, a guy like Muhammad Ali, who wasn't necessarily a real shy guy, uh, Ali just, just told everybody he was the greatest, um, and he did it unashamedly, and, um, and he certainly was a great boxer. But, but these guarantees, these predictions, these promises of success, they, they aren't just in a sports arena. You, you find them in business as well. Steve Jobs, uh, the CEO of Apple, uh, for, way before Apple got big, he made predictions that, that Apple would reinvent the way the world listened to music. That Apple would reinvent the way that, that, uh, that America would watch TV. And, um, and, and Apple has done that. Um, in, in fact, um, it was, it's pretty interesting because it has completely been reinvented. One of my daughters, uh, a couple years ago at Christmas, said, hey, Dad, for Christmas, I want one of those old-fashioned, like, they're like record players. And, um, and you know, they have, like, these really huge, like, discs. And she's explaining a record player to me. And I'm like, yes, I know what a record player is. Um, 
You know, I remember the day when they had stores that sold records. I mean, uh, I lived in San Francisco. It was Tower Records. I mean, you just, there's all this music. I mean, Jobs did it. He reinvented the way we listen, listen, listen to music and the way we buy our music and, uh, and the way we were watching TV and movies. And, uh, and that, that's happened. And uh, he's done it in a, in a very creative way. And, you know, on football fields and boxing rings and conference rooms and businesses, people say some really outlandish things. And that's, in this day, is if you can back it up, it, it's, it's okay. Um, and, and our culture has slowly morphed into this, this win-lose culture. In fact, one article, I just want to read an excerpt from it. Uh, this article speaking about culture today says, ours is a win-lose culture. The ethos of our society invites, motivates, and encourages us, especially if we are middle class, to be winners in life. We live in an age of executive game players, superstars, Nobel Prize winners, celebrities, and successful entrepreneurs who have captured our imagination and attention. We all seem to feel the pressure to win at something, sometime, somewhere. In such a culture, there seems to be no room for anyone who fails, whether in sports, at the office, in the classroom, or at home. And, and, and to kind of illustrate that, that point, that there's no room for failure in culture, is uh, not too long ago, a columnist wrote this, this, this column saying, it's just supposing, putting it in front of, the, of American culture and saying, you know, it actually might be a good thing. Parents, take note. Parents, it might be actually a good thing if your kids experience failure every now and then. That, that there are certain things that can only be learned in failure or in losing. And, and, and this, this columnist wrote this, this article, put that out there, 700 angry responses saying, no way, I would never, you know, because we live in a culture where you know, every kid gets a trophy, we don't want to pop their self-esteem bubble, because uh, we all want to be winners. And one respondent wrote, after berating the, uh, the columnist, said, I set to win in everything I set out to do. I hate to lose. Losing is depressing for me. If I can't win at something, I don't do it. I will never lose. Which is awesome until you lose, all right? <laughs> because we all know, we all know, you know, oftentimes, especially in our strengths, we, there's things that we feel we're good at, and we are good at. We have talents. We have passions. We, we're, we're, we're really good at some things, and we look at a project, or maybe it is a, it's, it's a game, or, or maybe it's a, it's, a, it's a project at work, or it's a conversation, a negotiating deal that has to be done, and there's something in you that feels like, you know what? I have the skill set for this. In fact, you may even tell your boss, I can pull this one off. Trust me. I guarantee it. And, and sometimes, a lot of times, we, we can't back up what we say. And when we fail in our win-lose culture, which elevates and even idolizes winning, when we feel like a loser, we just, I mean, we crash. We crash hard. And in this gospel, the gospel of Mark, who better to talk to us about living life, a life of faith, living the spiritual life with its ups and downs than a guy named Peter. He was the Joe Namath of his day, right? I mean, you, if you know his story, he, 
in, in the, I'm going to read it here in a second, but you know, it's the Last Supper and Jesus is breaking the news that, man, everyone's going to scatter and Peter's like, <laughs> yeah, yeah, come on, we've been hanging out for three years. This is my paraphrase of the story. You won't find this in your Bible, but you know, Peter's got like this, this Jesus, come on, you don't know me that well. I mean, we've been hanging out for three years, and, but if, you know, you need to know. When everyone else is, is bailing, I'm, I'm going to be with you. When bullets are whizzing around and people's running for, running for cover, cowards are, are leaving you, you look over your shoulder, you're going to see the rock. I'm going to be there. I'm your, I'm your guy, Jesus. And yet, then we know very well that he crashed and burned, right? And this whole gospel is, really, it's, it's bookended with failure or, or with, with disappointment. Mark chapter 1 begins in the wilderness, the wilderness, the voice in the wilderness is, God, where are you? God, what are you doing? And, and it ends in Mark 16 with the women coming from the empty tomb, hearing that Jesus is alive. And, and the original ending says that, that they were bewildered, they were frightened, they were confused. That, that those are the emotions of, God, where are you? What's going on? Wilderness on both sides of this, of this gospel. The first half of the gospel is the rising popularity of Jesus. And, you know, so this, this theme that we've put on to this study, live it, man, it's, it's good to live it when there's rising popularity. But the last half of the book is the declining popularity of Jesus. And when, the, when, it, when it's no longer popular to follow Jesus, see, that's when the pressure is on to live it. So Peter and, and, and Mark, what, the, the reason that, how we got this gospel is that Mark, he, he was a disciple of Jesus Christ and he traveled with Peter and so he heard Peter's sermons. And so he, he, he wrote them down. This is the first gospel that, that scholars believe was written. And um, it's also the gospel that, that paints the disciples in the most negative light, which I just love the transparency of the scriptures. We, we get mostly the bad news about the disciples, their mistakes. And the reason we do is because Peter was preaching it. This man, when things were going good, I, I, I was in, and yeah, I said some stupid stuff now and then, but, you know, man, I crashed and burned, and, and then we get the, the ending, which I'll, I'll get to in a second, I'll talk about it again. I mean, the gospel itself, from the mouth of Peter, the, the pen of Mark, is about living it in, in the good and the bad times. And I think we could safely say that in our nation, there have been years where it felt like there's this rising popularity of people who follow Jesus. And I think we've passed through the summit. I don't know if you noticed this, but we come down the other side where it's not as popular anymore. And there's something within us that wants to push up against that because we want to win or lose, right? So we say things like, uh, at every election, this is the most important election ever because we got to win, we got to take back our nation. Our language betrays what we value. And what the gospel is saying is that, you know what, and even in the losing, God is at work. And the challenge is live it. Can we live it? So what I want to do is I, I want to read this, this passage. I'm going to read it from a paraphrase called The Message. Uh, it's written by Eugene Peterson. Uh, Mark 14, I mentioned, is where I'll be. I'll be re begin reading in verse 22. Uh, again, the words will be a little bit different. Uh, if you don't want to follow along or uh, maybe you just want to just let yourself fall into the story, um, I, I'm, do that. You can close your eyes, imagine, however you like to listen. 
Um, and the context here begins as the Last Supper. And then I'm gonna, I'm gonna skip a little bit. I'm gonna jump down to verse 66. But uh, this is what's going on here in Mark 14. In the course of their meal, having taken and blessed the bread, Jesus broke it and gave it to them. And then he said, take, this is my body. Taking the chalice, chalice, he gave it to them, thanking God, and they all drank from it. He said, this is my blood, God's new covenant, poured out for many people. I'll not be drinking wine again until the new day when I drink it in the kingdom of God. They sang a hymn and then went directly to Mount Olives. Jesus told them, you're all going to feel that your world is falling apart and that it's my fault. There's a scripture that says, I will strike the shepherd. The sheep will go helter-skelter. But after I am raised up, I will go ahead of you, leading the way to Galilee. Peter blurted out, even if everyone else is ashamed of you when things fall to pieces, I won't be. And Jesus said, don't be so sure. Today, this very night, in fact, before the rooster crows twice, you will deny me three times. Peter blustered in protest. Even if I have to die with you, I will never deny you. All the others said the same thing. Now, I'm going to skip to verse 66. This is that whole statement. There's the Last Supper prior to the arrest. Jesus is arrested. He's taken to, to the religious leaders, and Peter is following at a distance. He's in the courtyard. While all this was going on, Peter was down in the courtyard. One of the chief priest's servant girls came in and seeing Peter warming himself there, looked hard at him and said, you were with Naz the Nazarene, Jesus. He denied it. I don't know what you're talking about. He went out on the porch. A rooster crowed. The girls spotted him and began telling the people standing around him, he's one of them. He denied it again. After a little while, the bystanders brought it up again. You've got to be one of them. You've got Galilean written all over you. Now Peter got really nervous and he swore. I never laid eyes on this man you're talking about. And just then the rooster crowed a second time. Peter remembered how Jesus had said, before a rooster crows twice, you'll deny me three times. He collapsed in tears. It was an epic failure. This guy who said, I'm your man, Jesus. You can count on me. I'm the rock, is collapsing in tears because of an epic failure. I, you know, I've, I grew up in church. Some of you didn't grow up in church, so you, you, don't, you haven't heard this story a ton. Maybe it's just your first time hearing the story. Um, but, you know, you, you read a story like that, and you hear about a guy who's so brash and arrogant and says something provocative like, I'm, I'll never, I guarantee it, I'll never fail you, Jesus. And you look at that, and you see his failure, and the, the temptation is to come to the conclusion of saying something like, see, so that's why you don't make promises, that's why you don't make commitments, because you never know if you can, you can keep them. And, and we look at Peter, and, and I think that's an unfortunate conclusion to make. In fact, I'm just going to put a, a couple takeaways up here. First takeaway is this. That our takeaway isn't to stop making commitments. Peter makes this bold, provocative promise to Jesus. He can't keep it, and oftentimes what happens is when we've experienced failure in our life, when we haven't been able to keep our commitments, what we often do is we say we're going to stop making commitments. And what does that say about us if we will only commit to the things that we succeed in? 
What it says is that deep down there's pride. I don't want to lose. So I will only do the things I know I can win at. And when it comes to your spiritual life, when it comes to your spiritual journey, it, the lack of making commitments it actually can lead to spiritual laziness. See, I, I, there's no bar. It's not about performing for God, but it's about discipleship having a destination and you growing spiritually. So making commitments actually allows you to, to, to grow and, and, and helps you know where to aim in the trajectory of your spiritual life. So a takeaway is you'll never, ever make a, a, a commitment or a vow or a promise like that. It's, it's just actually understand that you're probably not as strong as, as you think you are. And, and the beauty of this is that here is Peter. He's in the courtyard, and, uh, and you know, it's this pre-crucifixion, and, um, and he's making all these bold statements. I mean, Peter is this, he's prideful, he's... He's out of control. He's a blabbermouth. He's, I mean, but he's here in the courtyard. Now he's realizing he's collapsed in fear, I mean, in, in tears. And, and yet he was the one who said, Jesus, I'm your guy. Uh, you, you can count on me. And, and he fails. But then go to the book of Acts and look back over here. And Jesus, not Jesus, but Peter crumbles under the peer pressure of a teenage servant girl. This, this servant girl saying, hey, you're one of Jesus' friends. He's, uh, he's disassociating with Jesus. But then in the book of Acts, he's standing in front of religious leaders, the Sanhedrin of the day, the intimidating leaders of the day, and after they're threatening Peter and, and John, Peter replies by saying, you know, we must obey God rather than men. He went from folding under the pressure of a teenager to standing up in front of the religious leaders of the day and saying, we're not backing down. And over here, he's, you know, in Gethsemane, he's falling asleep when, when you're supposed to be praying. Over here in, in his first epistle, he's saying, be alert, pray at all times. Over here, he's just saying, you know, on the Mount of Transfiguration, he doesn't know what to say, so he says something. And over here in, in his epistles, he's writing, be self-controlled. Can, can you see the transformation? And when did this all happen? It, it happened after his epic collapse. After his failure. He blew it. But he didn't throw in the towel. Here's the beautiful thing that happened. We looked at this last week. Women go to the empty tomb. And then this, this angel says, hey, Go tell the disciples to meet Jesus in Galilee. And by the way, tell his disciples, including Peter. One translation says, tell his disciples and Peter. The reason that an angel would say that is because Peter himself would feel disqualified. I denied him. I disowned him. I failed I collapse. Some of you in the room are looking back on last week. You're looking back years and you're looking back at what you consider to be epic failures. And you believe that, that God accepts you, but to certain levels, in fact, maybe you've even believed the lie that you can only draw so close. And others of you, it isn't the, the huge failure, it's just the slow accumulation of failures, small ones, 
over the years is kind of how you rate them. The accumulation of small failures over the years that pile up and make you feel like you're disqualified. It's a life in the pit of hell. Peter had an epic collapse. And Jesus invites the disciples to join him in Galilee and says, and Peter. Great story last night, 6.30 service. I have a, a young woman come up to me and uh, she, she, she walks up front and she says, she pushes up her sleeve, show me a, a tattoo, a new tattoo she's gotten. And, and you look at the tattoo and the tattoo says, and Peter. Um, now I guarantee you, this is the only Bible study series we've ever done that actually motivated someone to get a tattoo. I'm thinking, I, I'm, I'm pretty sure. She said in her Bible study, her, her Bible study leader, Trent, was, was talking, you know, Mark 16. And that phrase jumped out at her. After epic collapse, Jesus says, go tell the disciples to come follow me, including Peter and Peter. And she says to me, I've only had the tattoo for a week and a half, and, and, um, and people are saying, well, what's, what's with that? And it's opened a, a door to tell her story that it's and Peter. I think it's a great, it's a great tattoo. It's one of the rare moments that I, I go, yeah, you should get it. Um, so, someone after the last service, you know, just, just wrote it on their arm, you know, like, I'm not, saying, I'm not saying get the tattoo. I'm just saying what a beautiful thing for Jesus to say to somebody who feels like they're disqualified. And Peter receives the invitation and he makes the commitment. He recommits. He's restored by Jesus and he recommits to the way. And he doesn't just have a sideline job. He has a very important part in the gospel going to the ends of the earth. So our takeaway isn't don't make commitments because that, that actually can lead to spiritual laziness. Our takeaway is knowing that when we make commitments... In fact, it actually leads to a second, second uh, takeaway here is the potential of failure can wean me from independence and grow dependence on Jesus. If I will only do the things I can be successful at, what that betrays is my own pride to say, I will only do, I will only do the things I can be self-reliant, I'll rely on myself. If I can do it, I'll commit to it. If I can't, I don't want anything to do with it. And what that gives birth to is independent living, self-reliant living. And what Christ has, has called us to is dependent living. So when we make our commitments, when we say we're going to walk in this way, we, we, we don't say it with a guarantee, kind of like Namath raising his finger, saying, I guarantee that, that we're going to win. No, the, re actually, the reality is, is that we're probably going to blow it. Not just once. Maybe several times along the way. But what we're going to do is we're going to lean in and be dependent upon Christ, be dependent upon his spirit to fill us and transform us and empower us to live the life that Christ has called us to. So we, we move from independence to dependence in our relationship with Christ. Now, let me just share a personal story from my own life on, on what, this, what this looks like. Um, I, you know, I, I've got many issues, but one from the, one from the past uh, when I was living in San Francisco, and a lot of you know this, I, I worked for United Parcel Service. I was working for UPS. My parents were missionaries. I grew up in the church. 
Um, they were back in China. I'm in San Francisco, and I get hired United Parcel Service, and it's, it's a trucking company. It's a, uh, it's a, the labor environment is pretty intense. It's Teamsters Union, and, um, and, and there's a whole different culture there. There's, they speak a different language there. They speak trucker there, if you know what I mean, okay? It's a whole different language, a language my mom and dad would never have recommended for me to learn. But I learned it impressively. I was fluent in trucker. <laughs> now, I know that, um, that inside there's just there's a bit of a, a weight because I, I, you know, I, I know the scriptures at a real young age. I mean, I can, Luke's gospel, Jesus says, you know, out of the fullness of the heart, the mouth speaks. Do you know that you can see each other's hearts? Just listen to each other talk, which is why the Bible says don't talk, right? In the, the Proverbs, <laughs> the fool gushes forth. I can see your heart. Well, I, I mean, I, I know that. So um, I, I'm feeling this, this, this weight of uh, an exterior that does not match the interior, which is a really nice way to say hypocrisy. And so I'm feeling the weight of that, and so I, I, begin, I start making commitments. I am, I am no longer gonna speak trucker. Well, that was like good for six hours, you know, until a box fell on my, my foot, or, and, um, and I, really, I couldn't do it on my own. So I actually, one, one night, and you know, I, I spoke trucker Monday through Friday. I went to work like at five in the morning, got home around eight. Um, and then on the weekend, you know, I, I, I spoke a different language. Um, and I, I just, I couldn't bear the weight of the inconsistency in my own heart. And so I, I, I sat Trina down one day, it was on a weekend, I said, I just, man, I just gotta let you know, I'm, I got an issue, I, I need your help. Um, I, I speak trucker, and I'm fluent, and I'm just saying it nicely because I can't tell you what I was saying, right? I mean, <laughs> and she wasn't entirely surprised, um, as most wives aren't. Um, and, and she said, you know, well, let's pray. And so she committed to praying for me. Now, I, it, it didn't change like the next day. It was, it was, a, lot of, it was a lot of years. What, what, what I did was instead of trying to do it independently, I started depending on God's spirit and, and then I embraced a lifestyle of repentance. Meaning, you know, we hear the word repent, we think of, you know, tent revivals and this, this one moment where you repent and everything changes. A lifestyle of repentance, and we, as we defined it in, in Mark, changed heart, changed mind, new direction. Changed affections, new thinking, new direction. So it's every time I knew I failed, instead of beating myself up, is understand, yeah, I, I, I didn't make it, but it's then, you know, new affection, new thinking, realign. I just kept doing it. Over the process of years, I, I, I became no longer, you know, trilingual. That was one of my languages. I, I let it go. Um, and, and over time, there was, there was transformation. Uh, when I moved to Hood River, and I was, uh, I was a, a production uh, VP for a company, a fish and tackle company, um, a friend of mine from UPS, his wife, came to visit us. And we were going through, uh, for a walk through the woods, and she said uh, to me, hey, I, I hear that you were like, man, you had a filthy mouth when you were for UPS. I said, yeah, I, I, actually, I actually did. I, I spoke trucker. I, I learned it from your husband. Uh, 
his face went white, and it wasn't true. I calmed her down. Uh, and you know, I think the surprising thing for me was that she was surprised, which tells you a couple things. One, I put a great show on. And two, to think that we don't, we don't fail. We're all broken. We all have our issues. I'm only going to share one of them, right? <laughs> but we do a great job of, we, you know, let's just manage it. Here's the great thing about Jesus. He takes it all. And, and he, he says, follow me, knowing full well we will disappoint and we will fail. And we make commitments about living it and then we don't live it. And he says, tell the disciples and Peter and Joe and Susan, I mean, fill the names in there, you're still in. You're not disqualified because you're my kid and I love you. So we don't stop making commitments because that, that could lead to spiritual laziness and, and, and we don't try and live the independent life. We, we, we depend, knowing full well, we'll, we'll, we'll stumble along the way, but knowing that trans, expecting transformation as we embrace the lifestyle of repentance. And really, as, as we wrap up our series, we talk about living it. Uh, I, I want to take us back to, to January because in January, we, I, I put a list up here of things we wanted to commit to this year. Uh, these, these seven items. And we put this list up here not because if I do these things, God will like me. No, he already likes you. He already loves you, accepts you. It's just that these are commitments that discipleship has a destination. So these commitments will help us. They'll point us in that direction. Now, some of you were here in January, and you remember, we talked about that, that, that verse from, from Joshua, as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. And we had this cloth, it was all up here, and we, we, we wrote our names on it. And some of you here, I think it was January 3rd or 4th, and you wrote your name on here. Then January 6th came, and you went, I, I totally forgot about this. And, uh, and maybe you look at this list, and you're like, you know, you, you, know, you, you know, you failed. The conclusion is don't ever commit to anything. The conclusion is it's embrace a lifestyle of repentance. Recalibrate. Realign. Have a changed affection and changed thinking so that you can follow. And there's just some seven, these seven ways. Pursue holiness. What we mean by that is living a life that's a cut above. Not in a religious sort of uh, way, but in a way that, that, that mirrors the life of Jesus. Ask for the fullness of his spirit because it's in the fullness of his spirit we're empowered to live the holy life. We're faithful in private and public worship. What we're doing here is the culmination of what we've been doing all week. We immerse ourselves in scripture knowing that the, the voice is the ink on the pages. It's God breathed. We commit to community. We don't want to live an isolated life. We're better together. We love our neighbor because we want our neighbors to say, there's light there. That, that house has flavor to it, a unique flavor, salt and light wherever God's planted us. And we practice generosity. Yes, we give our tithes and offerings, but more than that, we give our time. We want to be people of a generous spirit, not a stingy soul, but a generous spirit. We, we committed to these things knowing that this is just one expression of how to live it. And the danger is, is, is thinking that these things make me please God. We already said that that's not the case. But the beauty of this is even in the, in the ones we didn't follow through on or, or failed at, there's a God who allows us to hit the reset button 
You know what I'm talking about? You know, those, sometimes are on appliances or on, you know, maybe your vacuum cleaner or the, the electrical outlets in your kitchen, a GFI plug, and it doesn't work anymore, and you just hit the reset button, and it works. God so loved the world, he sent his one and only son, that whoever believed in him would not perish but have everlasting life. And in God's son, the father gave us a reset button so that when we really mess up or when we sort of mess up, however you want to classify your mess ups, we go to him, admit it, confess it, repent, change heart, change mind, new direction, we hit the reset button and we're not excluded. Is that not the best news ever? That a God would love us that much to take us failures and all and say, come be with me. Now, as we wrap up our service, the team's gonna come back up here and we're gonna keep worshiping. We haven't stopped worshiping. You know, we're worshiping as we look at the word, as we, as we pray and as we sing our songs. Uh, they're gonna come, come out and we're gonna keep worshiping and singing. But perhaps you're here as you're looking that that list was up there, you're like, you know, man, I, I tried and I messed up. And maybe, maybe today's a reset button for you. Uh, or maybe you weren't here when we, when, we, when we did this. And I just want you to know that up here we have the with cloth all weekend long. We've been letting people just you know, add their name to the cloth. If that's something that you feel prompted to do, just as your way of committing to say, you know, I'm gonna, I'm, as God strengthens me, I'm, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to live it. As we're singing, you can come right up here and you can um, hit the reset button or add your name to the, uh, the cloth here. Or maybe it's a new beginning in Christ. You've never publicly declared your faith in Christ and you want to pound a white ribbon on the cross. There's ribbons over here, hammer. Um, we, we'd love to have you do that. It's just our way of responding to what we've been hearing about since last October. He's called you and I to live it, knowing full well that with our failures, he will still grow us into the person he's called us to be. He will still accomplish his purposes in us as we keep turning ourselves to him. So, let's live it. And let's put a smile on the face of our dad in heaven as he watches. Let's pray together. <clears throat> you are good, Lord. some ways you're just too good. Your grace abounds. There, there aren't metaphors. We've tried with, you know, as deep as the ocean, as high as the heavens, and it just doesn't capture the, the reality of just how good you are. Some in the room this morning, Lord, are living with some pretty big weights, trying to manage what's happening on the outside with what's really going on, on the inside. And I just pray that whatever guilt and shame might be there, you just free them from that through confession, acknowledgement for asking for help from you and others. And as we live it, Lord, we, we thank you that we don't have to live it perfectly. We want to. We want to keep our commitments. But we know ourselves pretty well. So empower us to, to live the life you've called us to and help us to remember that when we stumble and when we fall, 
that you're the one who's there and invites us back in. Thank you, Jesus. It's in your name we pray. Amen. Thanks for listening to the Salem Alliance podcast. We hope you have been challenged and inspired. Salem Alliance is a community of believers located in downtown Salem, Oregon, and we are passionate about our city being a city at peace with God. To experience other messages and discover more about who we are, please visit salemalliance.org or download the Salem Alliance app. And again, thanks for listening.